Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. Today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss the Jesus Gets Us advertisements. Today, we'll lead off with the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with Jesus getting us being the current event, and Buddha too, <laughs> let's just dig right in. Right. The current event is the current Jesus Gets Us, or it's also referred to as He Gets Us, uh, advertisement campaign. What if the ads were Buddha Gets Us? This podcast is about the marketing of a social Jesus versus the proclamation of a crucified and risen Christ Jesus. I've noticed they, in these campaigns, the word Christ, I haven't come across it yet. Very important because it means he's the anointed Messiah, the appointed Savior of the world. Listen to this from 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's as good as a summary statement of what Jesus is all about that you're going to find. There are others, of course, but that's a good one. His testimony, Paul, Paul's testimony. What do we, why do we bring up Buddha? Because we're looking at a social Jesus and the things that he has said, at least based on all the advertisements I've seen from this campaign. And it just struck me, sounds like Buddha Mm. in some sense. This is from the Huffington Post on their article entitled Buddha's Teachings on Social Harmony. Now listen to this, quote, according to Buddha, quote, moral virtue is accrued through reflection and putting oneself in the shoes of others. The Buddha encouraged generosity, virtuous conduct, mental development. He also taught the four divine abodes, loving kindness, compassion, altruistic joy, and equanimity. Loving kindness is a wish for the welfare and happiness of all beings. Compassion is the desire to alleviate the suffering of afflicted persons. Altruistic joy rejoices in the success and happiness of others. Equanimity is impartiality and freedom from bias." The social message of He Gets Us could just as well be Buddha's. If you got Buddha, why get Jesus? In other words, according to Buddha, don't be a hater. Or as the He Gets Us ad in this campaign says, quote, Jesus loved the outcast. He loved the ones the world just loves to hate. End of quote. Now that's from their campaign. In this world... I ask myself, who are the outcasts? Uh, Who are the outcasts according to God? In Scripture, the world hates Christians, and that's pretty consistent. 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
Yes, we Christians should not be surprised, and there'll be more about that later on as we move through this. Uh, the message of this campaign, he gets us, doesn't follow biblical patterns of truth. Here's from um, an article from Revolver. Revolver, it's an internet news website, and uh, their article of uh, Revolver of February 7th of this year. So listen up, if you would please. Quote, many of you may not realize this, but Hobby Lobby and other so-called conservative evangelicals are behind the new He Gets Us and Jesus Was a Refuge ads. These ads use the Bible and Jesus to validate and even promote the chaos at the border and also to appeal to the LGBTQ trans communities. Now, let me just stop right there and make an editorial comment. Uh, in my opinion, I believe they appear to move in that direction. But the podcast on Target is about what makes Jesus, Jesus. The Jesus who transcends the social messaging of He Gets Us. Back to the quote. The ads all stem from the central idea that He Gets Us. They discuss how He, Jesus Christ, was a refuge, a refugee, and had disdain for hypocrisy and was also unfairly judged like other marginalized members of modern society. Full stop, right there, wrong. He was judged not because he was marginalized, but because he claimed to be the Son of God. Listen to this from Mark 14, 60 through 64. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Right, and this attitude toward Jesus comes early in his ministry after his baptism by John. For example, and you can read it later at your leisure, Mark chapter 3, he heals in a synagogue on the Sabbath day a man with a withered hand, and the leadership is not pleased. So what do they want? Do they want to marginalize him? No, the Herodians and the Pharisees take counsel together as to how to kill him. They didn't want to marginalize, they wanted him dead. And that continues through his ministry. He was not ostracized socially, but crucified for blasphemy. And then we have this from a centurion who was there at the cross, Mark 15, 37 through 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last and said, truly this man was the son of God. And those centurions were tough dudes. They, were they saw a lot of death. They saw death and could not be shaken by the way people died. But this centurion was shaken to the, to the place of faith, to the place of revelation, to the place of understanding. And so it's this Jesus. Keep those two words in mind just a moment. This Jesus the Bible talks about. Here is Peter's Pentecostal sermon, Acts 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus. In other words, there are other people named Jesus. 
He's talking about a particular Jesus, this Jesus. And it's used seven times in the book of Acts referring to the crucified and risen Christ. This Jesus is the one with whom we have to deal. One of the ads entitled That Day from this advertising campaign states the following. Jesus rejected resentment on the cross. He gets us, all of us, end of quote. This is from um, a Christianity Today's article on uh, He Gets Us will be in the Super Bowl. Even here, it's a social message from the cross. I can only assume they're thinking of the first thing Jesus says as he's on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not a social message. Father, forgive them, because in ignorance, they're crucifying me. They're committing a grave sin, but I want you to forgive them. Why? Because I'm currently dying for their sins. That's not a social message. That's the gospel of Jesus in a nutshell. Mm. It's not about how to treat your fellow man. Let's continue the quote from uh, Revolver. Quote, last year, the Servant Christian Foundation approached Bill McKendry, the founder and chief creative officer, creative officer at Haven, a Michigan-based marketing agency. He was approached because there was concern that too many young Americans are leaving Christianity and that more people were growing hostile toward faith. Their idea? a national media blitz for Jesus at a scale that no single church could afford. The ads are reportedly funded in part by the family that owns the notably religious craft store chain, Hobby Lobby, and according to Christianity Today, as well as other evangelical groups, including a foundation called The Signatory. Other donors have kept their identities anonymous. Why anonymous? Quotes from this article from The Revolver continue. Quote, well, according to Bob Smitna, a reporter for Religious News Service, that's RNS, it's because they want to change supposed negative public views about Christianity. Smitna says that the campaign is attempting to appeal to groups that may have felt excluded or repelled by the church in recent years, like members of the LGBT community, different races and ethnicities, those who lean more liberal politically, are people who have kept up with the scandals of abuse. Abuse. Well, God will judge abusers for sure in whatever group they're found. Let's remember that. Continuing the quote, the group behind the campaign has also purchased an advertisement slot for this Sunday's Super Bowl, one of the most expensive brand platforms out there. The estimated costs for those ads will run around $20 million. In an interview with Christianity Today, the branding firm for the campaign said the plan included investing $1 billion over the next three years, a budget comparable to that of a major brand, end of quote. So this is not a church-driven campaign, but an advertising campaign. The branding of Christianity has already been done by Jesus, the cross, the nails, the scar, Listen to Paul as he ends his letter to the churches of Galatia, chapter 6, verse 17. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus, the brands of Jesus. Now, when I first saw these ads last year, I thought, it doesn't sound like scripture. For example, the website JesusGetsUs.com talks about Jesus himself being canceled. I expected a word then about crucifixion, the cross, etc. No. Well, someone might ask, can't scripture be applied and adapted to culture? No, here at 
current events and Christian expectations. We use current events to show how Scripture addresses current events according to God's way of doing things, salvation. For example, listen to this passage from Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What Paul was referring to is the um, cultural uh, adoption process that took place in the Roman world. And a person, uh, either in the family or even outside the family, if you've seen the film Ben-Hur, you know that he's adopted by a well-known and renowned and wealthy Roman man and becomes his son uh, in the family, dearly loved. And Paul is showing, show, showing how God's adoption plan follows that pattern, but it transcends it. In God's adoption plan, we get into God's family. We get the Holy Spirit. We get the promise of great things to come, of resurrection, and everything else. Canceling Jesus, then, if we're listening to these ads, should lead us to ask, how was he canceled? The answer would be crucifixion. And then we would say, well, why is he crucified? But the conclusion is not drawn. What we are called to do is to appreciate and respect Jesus because people have canceled us. Really. Listen to this, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what Jesus expects of people who will follow him, absolutely, to identify with the cross, the crucifixion. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's Paul's conclusion about the cross of Christ. Uh, Jesus wasn't canceled. He was crucified for the sins of the world, and it becomes the uh, discipline under which we are to live our lives, crucifying ourselves, denying ourselves, and following him. Mm. Not a social message as it is currently understood. No. So Jesus is brought forward in these advertising campaigns and videos to be interpreted according to current contexts not the Bibles, which may make him useful for social issues, but not the Lord and Savior. Bible verses in isolation from the context of a crucified, resurrected, ascendant, enthroned, reigning, and returning Lord can be made to mean whatever, as any cult knows. Listen to Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Yes, and we'll come back to that again in a moment. But cults have used this verse to separate their converts from, from their family, and families don't get any way of dealing with uh, their children once they're. And then you have to look for somebody to rescue them from the cult. But that—that's clearly a verse out of context, as we will see in a moment. Yeah, they use it as a point of control. Control. Not having access, that sort of thing. Power over them. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the breakdown to all this. The advertisement campaign's goal is to make sure certain groups know that Jesus gets it, gets us. 
And so far, there's no mention of this being an endeavor to preach the word as historically understood. Now, here's a quoting from Christianity's Today article on the ad campaign we mentioned earlier. And the uh, one I'm quoting is Bill McKendry, Chief Creative Officer at Haven, a Michigan-based marketing agency. Here's what he says. Is the goal that people become Christians? Obviously, but more importantly for now, we need to raise their level of respect for Jesus, and then they'll move. End of quote. Yes, respect like you might show Buddha. The gospel calls us not to respect Jesus, but to trust him, to submit to him, and no one else for the control of our life. Listen to Luke 14, 26 again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is an absolute claim upon a person's life. It, it exceeds and transcends earthly family claims, claims of friends, whoever. And also, it's not about respecting, it's submitting to him who is holy. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, at the end of it, when all the people walk away who've heard Jesus' message and did not like it and couldn't deal with it, Jesus says to the 12, are you guys going to go away too? Yeah. And Peter says, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we know that you are the Holy One mm. of God. Holy One. And that Holy One referring to Jesus occurs time and again in the Gospel accounts. Going back to this quote, Mr. McKendry, it's not a back-to-church campaign, he added, but we do believe we are heightening the interest in Jesus, and obviously, one of the outlets where people can go is a church. One of the outlets, mm. not the outlet. That's from Breitbart uh, of this year, February 10th. The Gospel Church of uh, Scriptures is not an optional outlet but the one group trusted with the full message of Jesus, which has eternal ramifications. Listen to this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's an exalted picture of the church. And here is the truth and practicality of the church in this world of what we are, from Paul as he writes to 1 Timothy 3, 14, and 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This Jesus, that is our pillar, that is our foundation for everything. This Jesus. This group sponsored an ad for the Super Bowl, which makes me wonder if, say, the Catholics or the Baptists or the Churches of Christ uh, managed to uh, buy that kind of time. Would they get an opportunity to make the word of Christ known as well? Do you think this would happen? Hmm. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, first four verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Right. I really, in my mind, can't imagine uh, the people who run the Super Bowl allowing that to be put up on the screen, <laughs> um, maybe running it uh, behind Rihanna when she's <laughs> doing her singing. The, uh, this Jesus of the advertising campaign is a stripped-down version of the truth, as you clearly just heard again, that summation of what Jesus is all about from 1 Corinthians 15. This advertising of a different Jesus is something Paul battled in his ministry. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 1 through 4. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And this should be our fear. Change Jesus, you change the message. Or change the message, you change Jesus. They are joined as one, not to be torn asunder. Now, as to this matter of money we're going to get to in a moment, let's understand the Christian expectation of financing the gospel. Listen to Paul from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us." Remember that phrase, they first gave themselves to the Lord. As you'll see, that's very important. Christians give for the work of the Lord, sometimes to their hurt. The money given follows the message proven in Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to glory. The money these early Christians gave was not money in search of a message to get people to respect Jesus. And that's what advertising does. Let alone change the message to make it socially relevant. If the message isn't eternally relevant, neither is it socially relevant, and no more relevant than Buddha's principles for society. Now, back to a quote already mentioned. Quote, Last year, the Servant Christian Foundation approached Bill McKendry, founder and chief creative officer at Haven, a Michigan-based marketing agency, concerned that too many young Americans are leaving Christianity and that more people were growing hostile toward faith. Their idea, a national media blitz for Jesus at a scale that no single church could afford. Let's note two things. First, money solves the problem. That's what I'm hearing here. Money, well, that's what we do. Their idea, a national media blitz for Jesus at a scale no single church could afford. So not from churches does this word go forth, but through an advertising agency. The gospel goes forth from faithful givers but he gets us is not an offering, but a calculated messaging technique that distorts Scripture's teaching on the need to rely on God and not on the world's technology or help. 
Listen first to Psalm 26 through 8. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Yes, and you say, what has chariots and horses got to do with modern technology? Well, technology in any age is technology. It's using things of the world to accomplish your purposes instead of first and foremost putting your trust in God and what he has already said. Uh, here's another good example from Isaiah 31.1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Right. When in trouble, we don't look to the world for help. God is our helper in getting the message out. And clearly that, as we will see, involves at times technology, money, and all that. But it's how it's done is very important. And how the message is presented and how it's understood. Look at this and hear Paul's uh, word to the Church of Corinth from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wisdom of men, and sometimes that's what advertising presents itself as. Now, that passage that Randy just read, does this sound like a slick advertising campaign that Paul was doing? No, this is how God gets it done. Are we against technology? Yes and no. Before any tech, there must be trust in God fully for success. That in turn will decide how technology is to be used in a way that doesn't change the message. As a guy I studied years ago says, Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. And what he means there is advertising can be very deceptive. In my life, I've seen media blitzes for Jesus, and I couldn't see their superiority over how Paul and the others preached the gospel and got it done. Seeing the two ads I saw from Super Bowl night, and yes, we watched the Chiefs beat the Eagles, <laughs> I really don't see how that will move anyone to Christ, mainly because that wasn't the message. To be socially relevant, the message must be eternally relevant, first and foremost. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in my suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of our own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. He brought immortality and life out in the open. No one understood what it was all about <clears throat> until he from eternity past came forth and did that. And here's what I've been using here is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Here's what he said. Everything that is not eternally relevant is already out of date. Mm. So the second thing, from this quote, young people are leaving Christianity and more people growing hostile toward the faith. Why? Listen to this quote, and this is from an article in Breitbart of this uh, month of February, the 10th, 
And again, it's Bill McKendry, founder and chief creative officer of Haven, Michigan-based marketing agency. Quote, how did the world's greatest love story become known as a hate group? How? When the media, the entertainment world, school unions, the philosophies taught in higher and lower education are constantly slandering Christian truth and the God of creation and redemption? That's how. When Christians all over the Eastern Hemisphere, from Africa to North Korea, and by the way, we're involved, um, my wife and I and others, in supporting uh, missionaries in Africa and uh, in India and places like that, and we hear about what's going on there, and it is persecution. When Christians all over the Eastern Hemisphere, from Africa to North Korea, are persecuted and killed, I must wonder, who is the group being hated? How many LGBTQ plus people last year were martyred or imprisoned for their beliefs? I can name a lot of Christians from the news agencies who were. Here's a quote from Breitbart from uh, January 20th of last year. This is from Thomas Williams, Dr. Thomas Williams, who, by the way, has a book out now called The Coming Persecution. Here is what he says, quote, The year 2021 saw the worst persecution of Christians in history, according to the 2022 World Watch List released Wednesday, by Open Doors. Uh, open Doors, let me add here, and to the quote, is a very good organization that keeps tracks of these things as best they can. Probably more people are being persecuted. Back to the quote. The grim global statistics highlight how more Christians face violent aggression because of their faith than any other religious group with over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience, here's this quote, where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's from the group known as Open Doors. And last year, 2022, according to Open Doors, there were about at least 6,000 people martyred. And all of these, for the most part, are in the Eastern Hemisphere. Mm. And that's the coming persecution talking about. It's going to come over here. He gets us is an American phenomena. I don't think this would be the advertisement they would go with if we were experiencing here in this country, but people in Africa, India, North Korea, China, etc., are experiencing. Listen to John 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There you go. Pretty clear. And, and he states that again in John 16. And it's found in the gospel accounts and in the letters of Paul and the apostles. Well, our fellow Christians in the Eastern Hemisphere face this daily. How did the world's greatest love story become a hate group? It didn't. Yes, there are those Christians who defect, slander, and become haters. This was predicted, guess who? By Jesus himself. Listen to this in Matthew 24, 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel, not a social message, but the gospel, the crucified, risen Christ who died for our sins and who is returning. No advertising campaign is going to stop this, because that's a prediction that's true in every generation from Jesus. But let's ask this question. Why do so many in the LGBTQ plus group hate Christianity or Christians, hate the Bible? Here is why, and maybe the people supporting this advertising campaign really don't get this. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe, not respect me for my social ways. Here again, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes. I suspect that the advertising campaign Jesus Gets Us is about acceptance without making the point that with acceptance comes accountability. Jesus loves us in order to save us and change us. That's truly how Jesus gets us and keeps us. And note, Jesus loves the people he tells the hard truth too. Listen to this from Mark 10, 21 through 23. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. There you go, the claim and the call. That's what Jesus does. The rich young ruler was very enthusiastic. Uh, he ran up to Jesus, kneeled before him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what about the commandments? How are you doing there? And he says, I've kept all of these since I was a kid. And then he says, one thing, one thing you lack. Go, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. He couldn't do that. But notice what Mark said. And Jesus, what was it? Did Jesus beholding him, loved uh, him? Loved him. Looking loved. at him, loved him. Look, loved him and gave him the hard truth. So we got a lot of donors in this advertising campaign. I wonder if they have meditated upon that passage there. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, don't invest, divest. Big difference. And follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. We are sinners in need of grace, and that's what the world hates. Our message is the Bible's, not an advertising campaign. Come to Jesus, please, in repentance toward God, having faith in him and being baptized into him, and then have a life of service in his church. Because listen to this, a redeemed life for Jesus is the greatest advertisement of all. And that's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. That's a lot to think about. 
and I'm sure there might be some questions and comments about it. So if you would, please send your questions or comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. We'll use your comment on air where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.